This episode is brought to you by Element. That's L-M-N-T. What's Element? Element is the product that came into my life at exactly the right moment. I've been training hard. I've been sweating like a maniac. But unfortunately, after my sessions, I could never kick that feeling of dehydration. It didn't matter how much water I drank. In fact, the more water I drank, the worse it got. My body was telling me, you need more. You need electrolytes. But I refused to go and buy some sugary sports drink and put that garbage into my body. Enter Element. What's Element? It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix. That's right. I said tasty. They have seven different flavors. My personal favorite is mango chili. But most importantly, it's got no sugar. It's got no gluten. It's got no garbage. There's got no guilt. Take it. You'll feel better. You won't feel like a bum after you drink it. You won't feel any guilt after taking it. To get your element today, go to drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Get yours today. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Advanced Training Podcast. Today, our guest is Coach Mike Q. Uh, just found out right now you pronounce it Curcia. So we've been calling him Q. I've called him Q since the, uh, the day I met him, since the instant I met him. Coach Q, how you doing? I'm good, Coach. Thank you for having me. I saw all the, uh, the big names you have on this podcast. When you asked me, I was, uh, I was taken back by it. Uh, honored that you would think of me in that way, Coach. Well, listen, man, I, I think uh, we had an instant connection from, I, I almost say minute one. So just to give people some background, I met Coach Q in this crazy, crazy spring season that we had here in New York City. Coach Q is the defensive back coach at Tondale High School. I came in as a linebacker coach slash special teams coordinator at Tondale High School. And then uh, Coach Q instantly bailed me out by, I don't know if he agreed to it or was forced into it or whatever happened, but he instantly became uh, like the assistant special teams coach, like my right-hand man. And we just bonded from minute one. So coach, I want to start off with, in my opinion, you coach the toughest position in football, defensive backs. And and you seem like I'd call you like the DB whisperer. There's a lot of personalities over there. There's a lot of talent over there. Uh, But first I got to ask you in your mind, what separates a good DB from a great DB? I think the two biggest things I look for in a DB is uh, bail and recovery speed, right? How fast can we get to that post? How fast can we get to that fade if we're beat? And then rally speed. How fast can we can we come down into the flats? How fast can we come down on that curl or that hitch or that in? Uh, those are probably the two biggest things uh, that I look for that I drill in my indie periods is let's rally down, let's rally downhill, and let's be able to recover on those fades if we're beat. Now, again, I, I peeked over. I love watching football drills. I love watching coaches coach. I would peek over at your drills and see a lot of what I would call change of direction where guys backpedaling, puts his foot in the ground, comes back up the field. Is that something that you believe is innate in the great defensive back, or is it something you have to pull out of them as a coach? I mean, some are natural, you know, we have some of them at times, but some are just like natural born athletes that could, uh, that could fly out of their break and rally downfield, but it's not always the case. So when we do backpedal breaks is what I call it is it's drilling that, First step, once that ball is released, how fast can we get there? And uh, that's probably the drill you look at most. The, the kids don't like it because it's, it's not a lot of fun. But uh, it gets you so quick twitch. Uh, so even if you don't have that quick twitch, uh, you know, Gene, from these drills, I think you could develop how fast you can get down on the ball. So Coach Neville, he he's definitely a feed-the-cats type of coach. We have short, very I'd say very explosive practices. 
Now imagine, I mean, he gave us in, indie time, but he doesn't give us three hours. So if you only had one DB drill that you would run in practice, you were only allowed to do it, that one drill, what would it be? Oh, man. Oh, man. Uh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. It'd probably be uh, rather than back pedal brakes, bail brakes. So uh, on bail, the zone turn. And then when I, on cadence, when I call a break, wherever you are, put your foot in the ground and rally back up to the goal line and repeat that for five, six, seven reps. Um, that's probably the go-to drill because it's, it's doing the two biggest things that I look for in the DB, which is bail and rally. So we're doing that all in one drill. So uh, yeah, that'd be my one drill. In, in this world of, I'll say, spread offenses and the world loves offense now and they kind of hate defense, look at all the rules in the NFL. Do you feel like people want to still want to be DBs or do they all just want to be wide receivers now? Well, um, I'd probably say that because of flag football, these kids probably come up wanting to play receiver more. Um, but then when you get to training camp and there's – 200 slot receivers that all think they're receivers they have to learn a new position so I think probably coming up probably when they're 10 11 12 13 I don't know a lot of kids that say I want to play DB but I think when they when they come to camp and they realize oh wow no I'm I'm not going to see uh the field at receiver but I could be a good DB I think that's when it probably hits them like 14 15 all right I want to play corner that's probably around the time where it dawns on them so how I'm just thinking about my personality, Coach Sarnel's personality, Coach Neville's personality, and then there's your personality. You know, like I, I, I'm kind of even keeled, but then I'll fly off the handle if I get super upset. Yeah. I, I've never seen you fly off the handle. You, you take you are the most even keeled guy I may have ever met in my life. How where did that come from? Was that just the way you were born or did you develop that over time through coaching? That's actually uh that's like a two, three part question, because if you would have seen me coaching my younger guys, right, the uh, 12, 13 year olds down at uh, Staten Island boys, it's definitely not the same, uh, definitely not the same demeanor. Uh, so my, my deal with, with, uh, with my style of coaching is that I'm firm. And if I do yell at you, I want you to understand that it's, it's with a purpose. Um, so very rarely do I, do I lose it, but if I do lose it, you'll probably know that you did something wrong. Uh, but a, where does it come from? It probably comes from, uh, believe it or not, I started coaching. This is 200% true story. I started coaching when I was 12 years old, and I was coaching 10 and 11-year-olds at 12 years old. And uh, I played with a lot of the guys that I, that I was coaching now. So it was, it was then that I figured out how to walk the balance between I'm going to take you under my wing and I'm going to treat you like a little brother or like a little cousin or like a little nephew and still be a coach, right? Like that's the biggest thing that I try to, I try to establish. Let's, let's gain respect, let's gain trust, and let's gain that I'm doing everything for your best interest, for the kid's best interest. And once I establish that, they'll run through a brick wall for me. So that's why there isn't really a need for me to to get crazy or to scream because uh, everything that I say for the most part, once they buy into, into my system, they, uh, they see why I am the way I am and they understand that I'm trying to make them as great as they could be. So how did you get into coaching at 12? So uh, I went back to, to training camp of the first coach I ever had, Coach Collins. He's still there at SBFL. And uh, 
I asked him, I said, so when I'm, when I'm done with my practice, could I come by and help? And that's just all it was coming by and helping. That's all it was like a, like a glorified water boy essentially. And then uh, the season starts and the way they used to do it is there's an A team and a B team, kind of like a varsity JV. And um, the, the JV or the B team would get 10 plays at the end of the first half. They would get 10 plays at, at the end of the third quarter on offense and on defense. And midway through the season, he said, Mike, you handled the, you, you handle the B team completely. So at 12 years old, I was running schemes and I was running defense and I had my own practice almost every single day. So uh, I've been doing this for like, a, for like a long time, even at a lower level. So uh, hats off to Coach Collins for like giving me that freedom to develop my coaching style that you see now. So what, what differences do you see in coaching someone that, you know, you, you said a SIBFL for those that aren't in Staten Island, Staten Island Boys Football League. What difference do you see in those kids versus the high school athletes that you're coaching? I'd say, uh, the personalities don't really change. I'd say uh, the kids at the varsity level, for the most part, uh, are looking to give their best effort because there's a consequence. If they don't give their best effort, they aren't playing. But in terms of uh, how I treat them, my standard doesn't change. So whether you're 18 or you're 10, 11, 12, 13, uh, I'm expecting the same standard out of you. So I don't really look at them a lot different. The conversation might be different. Um, how I speak to them though is is it's pretty much the same. It's it's demanding your best effort every single rep, being able to be coached and being able to be a good teammate. So like they may be eight years older, seven years older, but uh, I don't go from from uh, from Tottenville to SIBFL and really have to like turn off a switch and turn on a different switch. It's, it's, it's pretty much the same me, whether it be dialed down or dialed up, it's the same version of me and my standards are going to stay the same. So did, I, I, mean, I want to make sure I'm clear in SIBFL, do they yeah. have, they have to play like they have to get on the field, no matter what, every yes, kid? they have to, uh, they have to get on the field for at least 12 plays a game. Ah, uh, okay. So now I'm seeing the difference. High school, yeah. there's no guarantees. You don't have to do anything. Yes, exactly. So like if you, you know, if, if you don't want to give your best effort at SIBFL, you're still going to be given uh, 12 plays, which isn't a bad thing. Give, gives, gives kids a chance to develop and get live game speed. But having that security blanket that I'm still going to get 12 plays isn't there at the high school level. So everyone is working hard to, to land that, those starting spots. And something I love about Coach Neville is he writes it on every one of our practice scripts. Reps are earned, not given. Even not practice given. reps, even practice reps are earned, not given. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's uh, I'm, I'm picking up a lot from I'm sure we'll get into it later. But, uh, yeah, I'm taking a lot of my standards uh, and and change and developing it from what I'm learning from Coach Neville. So I, I want to take a step back. You know, we're talking about you coaching two high school, two, sorry, two football teams. And literally this spring, you were leaving Tottenville and going to Staten Island Boys League. And you also train athletes. And I believe you're a, a boxing coach, right? So how, how are you doing all this? How do you possibly have the energy to do this? Well, uh, honestly, coach, some days you, you, you don't, you know, some days you don't have the energy to do it, but, um, the way I look at it is 
you know, this is this is the life that that I chose. This, this is what I was meant to do. Right, I was meant to coach. So whether I'm doing two hours at Tonville, doing another two hours at Staten Island Boys while running a business, while boxing, you know, I could be drained at the end of it. But I, un I understand that, like, this is the path that I chose, and like certain things, uh, certain things got to be sacrificed. You know, certain things have to be sacrificed. So how do I find the energy? I, I guess it comes from like, from, you gotta, you gotta be internally motivated. You know, I, I gotta make sure that when I go to bed at night, that I'm a better coach than I was the day before, you know? So like what I preach to the kids, I live that lifestyle. Like I don't just talk about it. I'm actually about it, that you have to be better than the day you were before. So when I'm out of energy, and I ran from from Tango practice to stand on boys practice and I'm coming back and I got a training session at night and then I'll spar close to midnight. Uh, you got to have like a really strong why, you know, you got to have a really and my why is really strong. Do you mind if I ask what what your why is? I, I feel as though this is uh, coaching is what I'm supposed to do, but on a deeper level uh, at at 12 years old, I knew that I could positively change the direction of a lot of kids' lives. So whether that be through teaching kids how to throw punches or teach them a, a cover four or a cover two, right? Or, or bare bone basics of a three point stance. I believe that uh, my why is to uh, change a direction of a kid's life and I'm successful doing that. You know, that, that's a big thing with me is that, uh, you know, a lot of coaches say it, a lot of uh, coaches say that you, they're not gonna remember uh, you know, they're not going to remember how I taught them to, uh, you know, a bell technique, you know, when they get older, they go to college or if they're younger, they're not going to remember what I said about, you know, the root fundamentals of, of uh, being in a cover too, right? It's what did coach Mike teach me about work ethic, right? What did he teach me about how I should conduct myself as a man? Um, and instilling values, that's my why, I'd say. I got to ask you this because I, I had went from coaching one team in the fall to coaching another team in the spring. And in the beginning, you know, special teams coach, you got to know people's names. And I struggled knowing people's names. How are you remembering names between two football teams at the same time? Forget names, playbooks, strategies. How, how is your brain putting all this stuff together? Um, we can break that. We can break that question down. Name wise is when I, when I'm introduced to them, I usually don't get their names till within a week, but it's a goal of mine to get their names uh, down pat within a week. Like that's my goal. Like first week, I got to get these kids names down. And whether that be directly asking them, what is your name or just picking up in conversation, uh, remembering it, that's a, that's just, that's, that's a, that's a different story, but I have a, a goal that I'm going to have an idea of who you are uh, within within the week, when it comes to playbook and, and and strategy, that comes from after hours homework. So uh, when I get back from both practices, when I get done with training, uh, if there isn't a concept that I understood, which happened a lot actually at, at, at time well, this year, that's why I was asking you guys a lot of questions. Um, if there wasn't a concept that that I understood, go back in the notes and study up whether that be last thing at night, whether that be first thing in the morning, go back in notes and, and study up. So just like, just, like a, just like a player, right? Just like a student, uh, same way. I, I treat it the same exact way. Like if you're trying to be the best player, you're going to do uh, the extra work 
right? So now as a coach, rather than doing the physical work, it's just doing the, the extra mental work to uh, try to get up to speed with everything. And one thing, one of the many things I loved about you is that I felt like at any moment of any day, you and I could talk football strategy, either refine what we were doing, uh, talk about a new kickoff return that we wanted to put in based on the, the type of kicks we were going to see, or even just personnel. But you seem to be a true student of this game and, and always learning to either coach me up or learn something from me or coach Sarno. But, you know, it was kind of like that two way street, but you just, you were had curiosity about this game of football, which I think is awesome. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah. I appreciate that you, that you saw that because I'm, that's, that's a big part of what I'm about is uh, like I said before, like it's, it's a buzzword for me. I got to be better than day I was before. So whether that's learning from you, which I learned a lot about special teams. I didn't know from you, but that's picking the brain of, of Coach Sarno, where that's learning uh, about running a program from Nev, got to be better than the day I was before. Uh, well, to be fair, you know, I, I needed it. I needed you. You were there, and it was like a perfect mix because I needed a guy that I could talk to about some of the intricacies of special teams and defense, and I was always picking your, your brain on both of those things, but it was, it was perfect that we can have these conversations both on and off the field. But I got to take another step back. Uh, you said that you, you, you sacrifice a lot of things. And a lot of people listening to this podcast, they're in constant tur turmoil. I want to be jacked up, but I don't know if I want to not go out tonight. I want to be a great football player, but I don't know if I want to watch any film. What are you sacrificing in your life to be the guy that you are? Oh, uh, that's a lot. That's a lot. I think that um, a lot of people could disagree with this, but I think when you – do two things and I happen to pick the two worst things to have like a, a normal person's quality of life when you coach two different uh, football teams and when you run a business like so coaching and, and running a business I feel like it's one of the worst things to have like a, a normal uh, regular life right because when you're not coaching you're thinking about running the practice plan when I'm not running the business how can we make more profit right so the, the brain never stops never stops going so what do I sacrifice? I say the first thing would probably be peace of mind. Like I'm never <laughs> like honest to God, coach. <laughs> it's probably like I've never, even when I'm laying in bed, if I did something or I saw something, I, if I didn't feel like I taught something a certain way, that's going to eat me up at night. Right. So peace of mind is something that definitely lacks. That's definitely one thing. Um, and, and sacrificing, uh, you know, certain friendships, certain relationships, certain family occasions because you can't be there because if you run a business it's it's a 24 7 thing um but which i'm not complaining about so it's, it's the life i chose but uh uh if you really want to get to a certain place you know everyone wants to talk about uh you know i want to be you know how many times you know, see it on on instagram or see it on twitter about these motivational quotes that, that everyone's posting but then i, I kind of like sit back and, and i laugh to myself because i'm like are they going to put in the work that's necessary to back up what they're posting. And with me, that's just, that's just how, that's just what I'm about. I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to, to give up, uh, you know, go as far as quality of life, right. For right now to sacrifice for the future. So for people who don't know what your typical day looks like, can you just ex explain that, you know, that could be high level, but just like, what do you, what does your day look like? What time do you wake up? What is the stuff that you do? And then what time do you go to bed? I can't stay in bed later than 6 a.m. I got to make sure that we get the shower done and the breakfast is done and the morning workout is all done before a certain time. Because I got to like, I live by the code of attack the day. You got to be on offense all the time. I feel like when you do what I do, 
There's no time to be on defense, no time to sit on the ball. Every day is your fourth down and we're not punting. That's that's just that's just how I live life, right? So that is music to my ears, man. Music yeah. to my ears. <laughs> so be on go all the time. So that's my morning. Make sure that a workout is done, make sure a breakfast is done, make sure you shower and, and all that's done. Then in the afternoon, before practices, before I start my sessions, whether I'm going to football, what am I trying to teach? What am I what, what muscles I'm trying to train? Uh, what is the end goal of the practice? Then you go to practice, you see if that pre-practice review worked and what didn't work. And then after practice, uh, if I'm not going to go to a boxing session or if I don't have a session after practice, then I'm doing post-practice review. Um, and then once we do that, then we're talking 11 to 12. The brain isn't off yet, right? Because I'm uh, losing my mind based on what went wrong in practice that day or what I could have done better. And then uh, and then repeat. And that's, that's, that's every day. It's a grind every day. So you train yourself first thing in the morning like when you wake up and then, then you train before you train other people? Uh, that's almost, that has to be almost always because uh, if I like to do two of these, but if not possible, I could say to myself and kind of negotiate with myself, all right, I hit this, right? I hit this workout in the morning. So if I can't get to it back in the day, it's already done. You're saying you like to do two a days. You like to train yourself twice a day? Yeah, 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 definitely. Absolutely. One has to be what I coach, right? What I train the kids, right? Like I run through their practice plan, like, because it's big for me to be about what I preach about. It's, that's a huge thing for me. So like, if I can't physically run through the workout that I make the kids do, then I'm, I'm a fraud. So I want to make sure that I could uh, do what they're doing still, still do the speed, agility, and explosiveness stuff. And then the second one will be the, uh, the, uh, the weightlifting. That's usually the second workout of the day. And what, first of all, how long have you been training athletes? I'm sure you didn't start that at 12, right? No, I didn't start that at 12. Uh, uh, this will be going on five years coming up. It'll be the fifth year, fifth year in September. And what, what type of training are you special, specializing in with those athletes? Uh, in, in general terms, and then I'll get more specific, it, it, I consider it sports performance, right? So uh, anything that applies to the field or to the court, that's what I'm looking to do. Like, I don't consider myself, nor am I really fluent in um, powerlifting or am I big on, uh, you know, uh, different types of, you know, compound lifts and all these different things that, uh, that other trainers are, are definitely more fluent in. My deal is, uh, if I have a drill, right, whether it be a change of direction drill, whether it be a type of plyometric, is this drill directly correlating to a movement on the field? Uh, and if the answer is no, I take the drill, I crumple it up, I throw it out, and it never comes back. That, that's just like my belief. So if it doesn't apply to football, if this isn't making the kid a better ball player, if it doesn't make him move laterally better or get out his brakes better or uh, things like that, then, then I don't do it. Are you only training football players? I'd say that's uh, 80% of the clients out. But uh, what I do is, uh, you know, soccer play. I do have a few soccer players, um, a few runners, a few track guys, um, and a couple of uh, girl flag football players. Because some of the stuff does correlate. But uh, I say 80% of it is uh, football players for the reason that I consider myself a football coach. 
you know, so like if I'm doing football related drills, um, not only are we doing uh, how to be more explosive, but I could directly correlate that to how can we be more explosive on a football field by doing this technique. So I try to like intertwine football and, uh, and uh, speed training. And where does boxing link into this? Um, that's probably not a lot of people know this, and the kids like get drawn uh, back by when they hear that was my main sport. Um, I'm, I was definitely more talented at boxing than I was at, at football. So when I realized a certain time came where I said, all right, boxing isn't the lifestyle that I want to pursue, you know, getting punched in the face, you know, uh, six times a week is like, you no, know maybe there's better ways of going about this. So um, around that time came where I said, no, it, I'm, I'm so knowledgeable about it. And I lived the life 24 seven of, of being a fighter. Why don't I teach the younger kids that? So kind of like the same idea with how I started uh, training, uh, how I started coaching football is how I started training boxers. Um, a lot of the guys I was working out with or that I was training with or that I was sparring with, I turned around and started uh, coaching them. Where did you box? Were you like a, I don't know if we should call it professional, but you, you an amateur boxer? Or, you know, what were you, where were you competing? Well, I was, uh, I was boxing everywhere. It was, it was everywhere. Um, like, I get that question a lot. Uh, where, you know, what, what gym? And uh, a lot of guys will tell you on the come up, there is no real, like, you're floating around a lot if you're trying to do it as a, if, at the time, if you're trying to do it as a career. Like, you're trying to figure out how can I parlay this talent into into making a career so I was everywhere I was here I was in California I was in the Philippines I was uh I, I was I was I was everywhere trying to make it happen and uh I lost the taste for the lifestyle if I'm being honest with you you know the the uh the, the lifestyle I said I love the sport but I, I don't think I could do this seven days a week and keep a certain weight so um yeah so that's when I said uh, enough's enough and regardless of where I'm traveling to or how far along I was, I said, I got to hang up the gloves. So we obviously coach a, a full combat sport, but obviously, uh, also obviously, boxing is way more full combat because that is the actual intent. So as a person who's involved with both sports, you know, when you were boxing, were you thinking, man, I got to get out of this before my, my head is mush or that thought never even crossed your, your mind? I don't know if I ever asked that, but I definitely, you know, my uh, my grandparents definitely asked that, and my mother definitely asked that. Like, are you are you sure you wanna you wanna you know come home with that with that black eye and that well on your head every day? You know, that's definitely a question I got asked a lot. I don't know if I ever thought about it in the moment about my uh, brain going to mush. It was just more so, you know, when you do something every day, you know, like I coach, but like when I was I was fighting, I don't know if I loved it enough to sacrifice without sacrificing like what i'm able to sacrifice with coaching i wasn't able to do that as a fighter anymore and and you talked about parlays i gotta ask you is there are there any i don't know is there any carryover from boxing to playing football in terms of like hand strike or technique is there anything you use from boxing that you actually coach up in football I mean, the, probably the closest thing would be the would be you know just being uh, agile on your feet, but that's not something that I even bring to it. I'd say to switch gears, uh, you know, and I, and I texted you about it the other day. Um, the mental aspect of what I do gets carried over into how I am as a coach, uh, definitely. Like uh, 
you know, these coaches that are big rah-rah coaches, you know, we, we all know these rah-rah coaches, you know what I'm saying, that are, that are on goal all the time and they're, you know, we're going we're gonna to punch the other team in the face and we're going to, you know, run the ball down the thing. We're going to do all these things, right? And it's a lot of rah-rah speech. Like, my angle on that is, like, I actually live that life, you know? So, like, mentally, I'm trying to give that kids that, that mental edge that uh, only boxing gave me. You know, like, there's something just, like, that just, like, makes you uh, that much more mentally strong when you're when you're in the ring and your nose is bleeding and your ribs are cracked and you can't breathe and you say, okay, there's still another minute left and we got to fight in the trenches. Like, that type of stuff that's just, like, ingrained in me now um, is stuff that I try to bring to football. Like, uh, you know when a coach is kind of, like, bullshitting their – their their rah-rah approach to, to football but when I say it the kids relate to what I say because they're like okay coach Mike's actually like he's actually about it like he's actually he lives the life that he talks about so the mental aspect of boxing I bring into football and I, I didn't ask you this before but what is the name of your the company that you're running the business that you're running uh it's uh game time athletic academy and where are you training people I took a uh a storage unit and uh and, and flipped it into a, into a gym. Are you doing both boxing training and let's like call it sports performance training in the same place? Uh, see, that was the deal. I had to, uh, unfortunately, I had to get away from my roots as a, uh, doing boxing training. I don't do it as much, even though it's, it's occasionally, I don't train fighters as much as I would like to. That's just because I have so, you know, God bless. I have so many athletes in my program there's enough time in the day, you know, even if I had 27, 28 hours in the day, uh, there wouldn't be enough time to do both. So I, I couldn't water both plants. So if, if a kid asked me, uh, you know, uh, can you give me some boxing lessons? I would have to find time in the day now, you know, cause it's just, it's consumed with, you know, football players and, and, you know, uh, basketball players and, you know, just non-combat related stuff. So I don't have time to do uh, boxing as much as I'd like to. And I don't know if you remember, but the first second we met each other, someone referenced that you were a boxer. And I said, that's great, because if all hell breaks loose on the sideline, I'm jumping behind you. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yes, I remember that clearly. I'm, stand, I'm standing to that right now. I'm sticking to that. Sticking to it. So yes, I got I'm all here for it, Coach. All here. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about you being a trainer. And in this training world, it's like professional wrestling. Like one day somebody's your friend, and the next day they're slamming a chair over your back. You've been such a massive advocate for Joe Sarno. He's, he's a, a celebrity on this advanced training podcast in our advanced training world and his world of headstrong training. Why are you such an advocate for a guy that might even be labeled as your competition in this field? That's a, that's a, that's a great question. I've had people ask me that too. Like, why would you refer him? I, that's honestly, I had, I had different parents that like, why would you refer him instead of, uh, Instead of you know saying that I would take you on, you know, but um, I, I say the answer to that is I have a lot of respect for him. I, I respect the hell out of him, and I knows he knows what he's doing. Um, and a lot of people in this training world, uh, they like to do what I what I call you know is aesthetically cute for social media. You know, it, it looks it looks cute. It gets a lot of views. You know, you're doing a couple uh, you know med ball chest passes or whatever we're doing and like i guess it looks cute but it's not really accomplishing anything um i know someone like joe is is, is fluent in, in in his knowledge i know that if a kid doesn't go to me he's in the right hands and that's like that's how i look at it um 
I want the right people at the top of this business. You know, I want uh, people that are genuinely in it for the right reasons and are the best at the field at their business. So I rather advocate for someone that I know is, is at a high level, at my level, if not higher than, than me, you know, and I could say, if I can't take you on, Coach Joe Sarno is, is going to get you right, just like I would get you right, you know. So that's why I vouch for him, because uh, uh, the right people have to be at the top of the business. There's too many uh, posers and fakers in this world. So I'll ask you the same question I asked uh, Coach Sarno. Are you more of a trainer who's a football coach or a football coach who's a trainer? Oh, that's a good one, Coach. That's a good one. Um, that's, that's, that's tough because, uh, you know, like I said before, I try to find the balance between, between both. And that kind of where the name Game Time Athletic Academy comes from. The first part of that being game time is that I want to get you game time in shape as a trainer, right? Wearing my trainer's hat, uh, get you fit your body right for game time. But the other part of where that game time came from is I'm going to give you all the techniques necessary to succeed on the field as well. So I, I think honestly, is that I think I have like a balance, like a really 50-50 balance of my trainer's hat and my coach's hat. And I find a way to blend it where it, I kind of have this unique program where, where we're doing a lot of these different things that other places are doing, but at the same time, you're learning skills and techniques that you're going to use on the field. You know, I, I, I'm remembering Sarno's answer. He said, he said, he basically said, I'm a teacher more than anything else, you know, and, and, and I guess that is kind of that balance to him. He was teaching one thing or teaching another. You're saying you're finding that balance in between for me. I struggle personally with that balance because in my mind, even though I'm 43 years old, I'm still a football player and everything I do is about football where it kind of makes me a trainer second. Even the guys I train now, they're, they're getting into their thirties. Too bad. You're going to train like you're a football player. You're going to train like a guy who still wants to be a football player. And we've had guys from other sports want to train with us. Okay. I don't care what sport it is. You're going to train like you're a football player. Like you're going to act as if you're a football player. It's probably a, I'd say a weakness, Sometimes it's a strength of mine, but uh, it definitely ties into, at least in my mind, where I'm coming from, that, yeah, I'm a football coach first, a trainer second. And that's why I love talking to guys like you and, and Coach Sarno, because to hear other people's perspectives, not that one's right or wrong, but it, I like to get inside people's head. Hey, the whole reason for these podcasts is to get inside people's heads and see where they're coming from with it. So let, let me ask you another question. You talked about other trainers. You talked about uh, some, I don't know, maybe some rah-rah stuff. Do you think that these other trainers that you see, maybe some you have pet peeves with, are they more trainer? Like, are they leaning more heavily towards the trainer side than the football coach side? Like, what are you seeing with them? Um, yeah, I think uh, the ones that I have like pet peeves about would be definitely more. I don't even want to say trainer side, but I'll, I'll give it. To, I'll give you know credit where credit is. We'll call it uh, trainer side um, because they aren't translating it over. You know, like. Uh, I get anyone can make anyone sweat. Anyone can make anyone sore. Um, and that's something that, you know, when I first started uh, uh, training, I guess I was more like the guys that I had pet peeves about, you know, my, my deal was like, we're always going to, you know, we're going to do a lot of these drills, you know, it, it's going to look good, but we're going to work like dogs and we're going to, you know, you're going to be hurting the next day. Yeah, and I kind of like had the same mentality as them, but a lot of things that uh, these other trainers are doing, I'm like, 
okay, I guess that looks good and it looks aesthetically pleasing, I guess. And you maybe you'll get a bigger chest from it or bigger shoulders from it or whatever the case is, but are you, is that relating to the field? You know, that's what I ask myself all the time when I see all these videos on, on Instagram, like, is this, I'm looking at it like, okay, that's good. I'm happy the kid's posting it. I'm happy he enjoys working out with the trainer, but is this working on the field? Are you a better ball player because of this drill? And like, they don't follow that same, I, uh, ideals that I follow, you know, when it comes to the end goal is making a better ball player when you're in sports performance world, not personal training world. That's a different story. Personal training was a different story that I'm not fluent in. And I never say that I'm good at being like a, 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 a for aesthetics to work out for aesthetics. But when you uh, work with athletes, the end goal has to be to make them a better athlete. And I don't see that all the time with other trainers. I love it, man. I, I you know, conversations with coach Sarno, it's, what are we training them for to be more athletic? Yes. To make sure they don't get injured. Yes. Do we do that? Okay. We succeeded. You know, a byproduct of that is having a, a jacked up bicep, you know, or having a tricep that's smacking out of your shirt, but that that's a, that's a, that's a byproduct. That's not the goal. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I believe that they were 2000%. I got to take this back to the greatest sport in my mind in the world football. And then the, either the greatest or the worst part of that sport, special teams. How did you get involved with me in special teams? Did somebody tell you you had to do it or you're like, hey, I'm going to help this guy out? I don't think it um, That's a good question. Where it start? I know that uh, Coach Neville wanted me to be the guy that uh, makes sure that we have 11 guys on the field, right? And that <laughs> the right 11 are on the field, which we laugh about all the time. Um, but I don't know if I was ever asked to uh, – to do it, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, we have, we have a close relationship and uh, I'm big on, you, you have how many kids on special teams that are, that are just standing there and you lose their focus sometimes. So I'm about like, let's try to keep these kids focused. So I stepped up to help you out. Just like all these kids that their heads are on the clouds. Let's just focus on what uh, coach Mahoney's talking about. Let's just, you know what I'm saying? And talking to them about the system and uh, the guys that were like, uh, uh, you know, I don't know about, uh, I'm not sure what special teams was. I don't, uh, it was the wedge. It was the wedge coach. I don't think this wedge is going to work out. And they would voice their concerns to me. I said, this man knows what he is talking about. Buy into his system because I bought into his system and just trust me that I trust him. Like that was, that was like a big thing. So start off from there. Um, just getting, uh, you know, the kids to, to be dialed in. And then it just went from, okay, I'm in this position. We're all on the same team trying to get to the same goal. Why don't I just uh, throw my hat in? And just to paint the picture for everybody, what are we dealing with? It's I wouldn't even call it a spring season. It's a summer season that no one was even prepared for, right? We were supposed to not have a season. All of a sudden, we're playing games into the, the end of June. We're competing with prom, graduation. Kids' minds are elsewhere. People don't probably don't want to play special teams anyway. And now here we are with players in masks, coaches in masks, and it's getting hot. And we're competing with stuff. And now we're trying to put in special team schemes that these kids have never seen before. I'm a new coach in the school. So, yeah, that they're not going to – I didn't – it was hard to get them to buy. I remember the first day of putting in our kickoff. Why do we have so many formations? Why don't we just line up t- 10 guys across the field and kick it down the middle? And then by the last game, by the second to last game, we got guys making requests. Hey, coach, can we uh, kick that onside kick? Coach, can we kick that sky kick? And I was like, wow, we, you know, you and me – in terms of that, getting that buy-in, it went a full 360. Sorry, full 180 from uh, where we started off with. So, I, man, I, I loved having you be a part of it because there was absolutely no way 
I could do it by myself. Now, now you did mention that your role was to make sure we had enough guys in the, I'd say on the field slash in the huddle with, and that's awful. Would you say that that's actually the most frustrating part of being a special teams coach? I think that's absolutely the most uh, stressing part of it is because you would think that at 17, you know, not to be used the cliche, uh, you know, Nick Saban Belichick about to do your job and know your assignment, but like, you don't think that it's a lot to know, okay, we just scored. What special team is going to be on, right? <laughs> we think that, you know, we're going to have that special teams ready. And then that kid is with his helmet saying, oh, I was on this special teams. Yeah, we practiced it for four fucking days, but it's okay. You still don't know. You know, that's probably the most, like, the most stressful thing that you think you would know your assignment and uh, having to reiterate it over and over again. Yes, you're on kickoff. Yes, you're on kick return. And the worst part of it, the worst, because I'll get the, uh, I'll get the, uh, the, the blunt of the, uh, the anger is um, in game, right? And you're counting up and there's only 10. And you look at the chart and you don't know who the 11th guy is. That is the most stressful part. That is definitely the most stressful part. Because then you got a, you got a HC, you got a head coach looking over your shoulders. Like, who's the 11th guy? And you say, well, it's a good question. I'm not sure where he is right now. Yeah. And I, what people don't realize who don't coach special teams is there's 66 positions. All right. If you're a defensive coordinator, there's 11. Your right corner goes down. Where's our backup third cornerback? He goes in. And special teams, if your right gunner goes down, he could be the R2 on kickoff. He could be your kickoff returner. He could be uh, your R2 on punt block. Now you, you lost four positions in one guy, and you got to scramble around. So hopefully during a game, if somebody gets injured, they tell you. And luckily, you know, what we had was a, a pretty good depth chart where we had ones and twos, and we were ready. I don't think we had one situation all year where we actually had to call a timeout. This is pretty sad, of, like patting ourselves on the back of us, but we had to call a timeout. <laughs> all year for not getting 11 guys on the field. And it is tough because going back to our spring scenario, there was no camp. We only had, we were only allowed to practice an hour and a half a day, which in, and there was no board work. There was no film work. So we, we had no locker room. So we couldn't post the special teams up anywhere for people to look at. Like I've done in other places. It was, we're going to install this during practice on the field and keep our fingers crossed that we're actually going to have enough time to execute it the right way in a game. So, uh, it was kind of, I'm going to leave this into my next question. It was kind of my reasoning for trying to eliminate certain special teams. So, you know, I, I don't like to punt. So you get rid of that special team punt team. I don't like, uh, I, we have kept our defense on the field for punt return and started blocking kicks with our defense. So you eliminate that special teams. It was really my way of trying to simplify things to eliminate re people remembering new assignments. Anyway, my question to you after that long, uh, you know, mumbling and stuttering going on was if you could eliminate one special team forever, what would it be? It, had, it, it wouldn't be, even though, uh, you know, we don't like punt, there's a time and place for it. Definitely punt, return, pump block, which we did get rid of. Uh, I just, like I don't ever, I, I, I'd rather not see it again. And, you know, just keep that 11 guys out on the field. You know, um, the havoc of, well, are they going for it? Are they not going for it? It's fourth and three on the 45. Are we leaving them out there? Are we not leaving them out there? Who's running on and who's running off? Now we got 12 guys. Now we got to call a timeout. So I think I'll probably, uh, probably pump block. It, it, it had to be pump block. Just leave the 11 out there. And just like we did it, regardless of what they're doing, this is the play call for us. And if they do kick it, we, we have a guy back there. And, and all that stuff 
like you said, requires coordination, right? If, if we had our defense on the field and we got to get a punt return team out there, you have to still make sure you have 11 guys. You got to install that play. You have to rep it out. They have to learn how to block a kick. Uh, and you know, we have to do a good job of knowing if their punter and long snapper are coming on the field or their per- punt personnel are coming on. So, Coach, I'm with you. I'm with you. So uh, I, I won't hold it against you that you said you wouldn't get rid of punt, but whatever. We'll, we'll move on to the next question. <laughs> So is there something we talked about this crazy scenario we're, we're in? Is this something that you wish that kids from today, that they would pick up this life, life lesson from football that they're just not doing? I'd, I'd probably say uh, it, it does trickle down to the younger guys, to the guys that are 12, 13. Um, you definitely saw, I saw it with the, with the, uh, with the seniors this year with the, with, you know, 17, 18 year olds, um, the, the values that, that you're taught and, you know, you hear this all the time, but like those values are kind of, you know, it's, it, it's kind of fading, you know what I'm saying? Like work ethic. Um, I'm seeing less work ethic. Um, you know what I'm saying? I'm seeing less, less dogs, less, less guys that, that uh, want to give their all, um, guys that give it up for the team the game's becoming a little more selfish. Um, you know, like get back to the roots of what's important. That's a big thing that I think going into next season, whether it be with the young guys, with this guys, let's get back to the roots of what's important, the life lessons that we're trying to take away from here that, uh, that you, you know, uh, molding, you know, molding young men and uh, instilling uh, work ethic and, and leadership and things like that. Cause the game's going really, uh, you know, and I see it at the roots of it, 12, 12, 13 year old about, uh, how how they look right who has who has the turf tape who has the uh different colored socks right glove on one hand not glove on the other who's taking pictures before the game like let's get back to the roots of like what's actually important and and uh i wish they understood that the core values of the game and uh i'm making effort as a coach to to, to re-instill the core values of and the life lessons of the of the game this coming season that's awesome. I was going to ask you, do you just let it happen? Is this the modern world or are you going to coach it into him? But it sounds like you're, you're not going to let this happen. You're going to take a stand. Well, well, this is this kind of uh, going back to, you know, uh, when we talked about this earlier on, it goes into my uh, my coaching philosophy of getting guys to buy into me, you know, uh, getting them to trust and respect me that uh, that they'll do eventually whatever I say, because they trust that what I'm saying is, is for their own benefit. So finding that balance there too, that I'm all for, you know, I'm not that much, you know, uh, older than them. I'm all for, we could look good. Well, I'm all for looking good. Right? I'm all, I'm all for that. Let's look cool. Let's, let's, uh, you find you take pictures for the game, but don't make that like why you're playing the game. It's not, we're not meant to, to show up to feel to look cool. If we look cool in the process, that's great. You know, I understand that, you know, these kids, you know, they're like, uh, you know, coach, get with the times. Yada. I understand that. Like, I understand that we want to look good to play good. You know, that old Deion Sanders saying, right? We want to look good, play good, feel good, all that stuff. But don't make it the, the core value of what we're doing, though, right? So uh, to answer your question, finding that happy balance, listening to what they, they would like to do and holding true to your standard and finding that middle ground. And I'm just going to tip my hat again to Coach Neville. He says, we look a certain way. We act a certain way. We play a certain way. So he he clearly has a bar that he wants to set. And to your point, he doesn't want guys 
trying to look different. He wants them to look like a Tottenville pirate. He wants them to not wear earrings. He wants them to not wear uh, some sort of bandana over their head. So it's coming from the top down, which makes it easier on guys like us to try and say, okay, this is, this is the way. This is the Tottenville yeah. way, and this is how we're going to look. So uh, last question for you before we get into the rapid fire questions. So I see that you wear dog tags. I've never actually asked you about why you wear them or, you know, what you're wearing them for. Did you serve in the military or are they in honor of somebody in your family who served in the military? What are those dog tags? Uh, the ones that I wear around my neck are my uh, grandfather's, but my brother also served. He was in, uh, he was in the Middle East for a while. He's back now, but the ones on my neck are my grandfather's and he was the, uh, Probably one of the biggest reasons why I coach. So it's important that uh, that I have them on me 24-7 because he's the uh, he's the guy. He's the man. You know, he's the guy that I model myself after. He's uh, the one that I built a lot of my values off of. So uh, going back to, you know, uh, the not for show thing, these definitely aren't uh, uh, definitely not for show. You know, to, definitely to honor my uh, my grandfather. And where did he serve? He was, uh, he was, he was, he was in the air force and, uh, he was, he was everywhere. I know he was in England. He was in, uh, you know, he, he was all over the world and he would always come back with stories and, uh, and just hours telling, just telling stories. And I took a lot from those stories and, uh, and like how he handled those stories is a big part of uh, my coaching philosophy. So all of his stories, you know, I always picked from them, right. You know, like I said, being the student of the game that I am in any story that he would tell, uh, Definitely not football related, but any story that he would tell, um, I would take it, reuse it, and try to make it a coaching speech, you know? And, I, you know, I'm trying to think of things that I've read about how what made football become one of the, if not the biggest, one of the biggest sports in America. It was that we had a, a break in major wars in the United States, and people needed to feel the sense of combat but without death at the other end of it. So I, in my mind, there's always this link between war and then what we do in football. And it's definitely not the same thing, but there are the same dimensions, the same qualities you're trying to build into people, discipline, uh, camaraderie, suffering to, to build character. I definitely see the two connections. Uh, they still exist. I think it's getting a little less and less right now, but it still seems to have been the foundation of what football was built on. Yeah, I think mixing the old with the uh, with the new. Um, I was watching I, the the one that you sent me about the the feed the cats podcast, which was one of the greatest podcasts I listened to. And, and you know, he mentioned that by having like this military way of doing things, right? Um, stemming from the, the 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 times of war or the or the break periods in between war. And uh, I think that you know the world is going so the other direction from the roots of what it was, you know, that, that old school mentality, you know, that 1980s, 1990s football, like it's going such the other way that like my belief on it is that let's use what was the foundation of, of running a program while still hearing the needs of what's going on now. You know, I just think that, you know, someone that runs like old school programs like, like Belichick and Saban and you watch like the Naval Academy and, and, and Army and the Air Force Academy, stuff like that. I, there was a reason why it worked and it may not work with today's culture, but I think that the roots of, of what they're about definitely have to be implemented with, uh, with the new school ways. And coach, I got a, a useless uh, fact, might not even be a fact, but it's something I heard on a documentary I saw on Netflix when America was getting into World War II. 
And we call that like America's greatest generation. We say right now today that people have gone soft. Uh, when America was going into World War II, the old timers in America said, I, I don't think we're going to win. I, I think these guys are too soft to get into this war. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these are the guys who stormed Normandy, you know, uh, yeah. you, know, it, it, you know, fought battles on multiple fronts in Japan and, and, and really worked their way up through Africa into Europe. These are the guys that are getting out of boats and getting shot at. And we said, well, they said, these guys aren't soft. tough enough. They're too <laughs> soft. So I wonder what those guys are saying about us right now. All right, Rolling Coach, over in their grave. <laughs> we're going to wrap this up with some rapid fire questions. So uh, there's a couple of them. I'll just shoot them out to you. Question one, what's the worst training advice you have ever gotten in your life? I've ever gotten in my life. Okay. Um, worst training advice I've ever gotten in my life was probably about uh, powerlifting. And that's why I saw I'm anti-powerlifting now, that you have to lift to be strong. We have to lift now. Like I take that ideology. I'm like, I can't believe I was brainwashed by that. Cause it's, it's like, it's so false. Once you like, once you live it, once you live the lifestyle, uh, that's definitely the worst training advice I've gotten that you got to lift to be strong. And that's the only way to be an athlete and, and those things. And uh, now that I'm doing it, you realize, wow, what was I learning back then? You know? And is it, you have to power lift to be strong or you have to lift weights and, and anything to be strong? You got to like constantly, you got, you got to be lifting five, six days a week, you know, always hitting iron. And then you're like, wow, if you look at my program now, I use almost none of what they told me. Okay. Counter question. Yeah. What is the worst training advice you have ever given? Definitely, definitely, definitely. And I realized, uh, I realized that before I watched the Feed the Cats podcast, I realized that before them, but that kind of just like, reassured me that I, I was right in changing my ways uh i used to have like this bravado macho thing that this is the most brutal workout around and you're not getting it anywhere else and uh what i was telling the kids is that you know you every day is, has to be a, a grit and grind and, and you gotta leave it all on the field which i guess sounds nice and it is nice it is a nice theory but um to train these kids like like animals when they come in here four or five times a week all in the off season I regret doing that five years ago, five, five four years ago. And uh, I just recently stopped doing that actually uh, last year that, you know, every day has to be a grind, right? Every day you have to, uh, you got to kill the kids every day. I took that philosophy and I burned it. Like it's, it's such a horrible philosophy and my fault for ever thinking it was the right way to, right way to go. And I love asking that question because it does show the evolution of a coach. As much as we know now, we know nothing. And we'll never know half of what it is because we're just going to continue to learn and learn and learn and learn. It's actually quite, quite humbling. All right, next rapid fire question. What is your least exercise, least favorite exercise that you still do, but you still do it because you know it's awesome? Definitely. Uh, I'm not sure. You know, there's so many different ways to call it. Alternate lunge or split jumps. Split jumps, alternate lunges. And uh, that into like into like a high knee is like a staple of what I do and I personally do it and I hate it and it destroys my quads and I have no interest in doing it every morning but you got to do it because it's just like such a such a quad burner and such a benefit of speed and uh, none of my kids like it I don't think I'll ever like it but it's one of those things you got to do as, as like a it's something you have to do you can't go around I feel like when you do split jumps and turn that into like an explosive movement uh hate it physically but i know the, the benefits of it next rapid fire question 
if you could put anything on a billboard on the West Shore Expressway. For those of you who don't live in Staten Island, there's an expressway called the West Shore Expressway. It actually is en route to the Staten Island Boys Football League. If you could put anything on a billboard on the West Shore Expressway, what would it say? I'm actually happy I watched the, the uh, Coach Neville one because if, if I didn't watch it, I would be stumped on this one, but I kind of have an idea of it now. Um, probably uh, embrace the journey. That would probably like be my biggest thing, embrace the journey. Um, you know, the wins and losses, the highs, the lows, uh, winning seasons, losing seasons. Uh, take something from it. I think we're so obsessed. We're so obsessed as like a culture to, to be looking at the at the end game when like, let's just play the game in front of us. Let's just play the quarter in front of us. Let's just play the down in front of us, you know, using that metaphor to life, right? Just embrace the journey and every step, every step is going to lead to it. And uh, don't overlook what's going on right now. That's something that I'm learning to do. Just uh, everything that I've accomplished in, in this world, I'm still young, like just appreciate that I've done this and, uh, and be in the moment. I love it, coach. I love it. Everybody's so fo focused on that end outcome that they missed the experience. Let's just take high school football. They missed the beauty of playing high school football. Yeah, yeah, worried about the next step. I think that's something that it's something that you have to do. You have to worry about the next step. Like that's something you have to think about. But don't let it take away from from what you accomplished right now. And I let that eat at me for the longest time. And that's probably what got me to where I'm at now is the fact that I was like always hungry, never satisfied. But you got to look back and, you know, just, wow, I came a long way. That's something that, that I'm trying to understand now. Last rapid fire question. This is my selfish question that I ask every single person on the podcast. What is one life lesson you can give me on how to simplify or remove clutter from my life? And it doesn't have to be about lifting or training. It could be whatever you want it to be about. Oof. You know about envelope accounting, right? Like how you budget your money and, and, and your weekly money is, is uh, something that I think, we, not you, but you know, in general, people got to have to do with their time. Like envelope account your life, you know, like. Uh, Hold on. I don't know about envelope accounting. What is envelope accounting? So whatever paycheck or biweekly or weekly or monthly, whatever the case is, uh, separate that uh, paycheck into certain expenses, the expenses that you're going to see, and don't dip into that envelope for anything except that expense. So, uh, so like, like at 500 bucks, I got five envelopes, like a hundred goes to rent, a hundred goes to gas. Like it's, 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 you're putting your money in the envelope and you can't dip into it for anything else. For anything else, but what's on the envelope. So exactly. So what I think, what I'm trying to do to, to, you know, give me some sanity as a coach and like attempt to find sanity if that's possible is, uh, Envelope accounting time, right? Like envelope account. Uh, so when you're not at practice or you're not training, that's your envelope time, right? So we have an envelope time for football practice and we got an envelope time for breaking down practice and breaking down film. Don't let that carry over to when you hit the bed at night. That's what I'm trying. And I'm being very hypocritical right now. Absolutely. But it's something that like I'm trying to, trying to do, like just uh, whatever you, you want to do in a certain amount of time, get that done. And don't worry about that for a second outside of that allotted time. That's something that I'm trying to figure out how to do. And I'm lying to you right now by saying that I do it now. I just, uh, it's something that, you know, I read into. And I think it's, uh, that's what you got to detach from coaching. You know, like when you're not coaching, detach from coaching, you know, and a lot this hour through this hour just to do coaching. 
and have a beer afterward and just think about nothing. So if you figure that out and you master that, please let me know how you do that. I'd, I'd say this. One thing you and I talked about to get into this podcast was the thing that I like about it selfishly is it gives us – I never spoke to you for an hour straight. I coached you for four, three four months. Never spoke to you. Probably never spoke to you for 10 minutes straight. Our yeah, minds probably. were always <laughs> running around after kids. We had other things going on. Uh, so this, to me, was like an envelope accounting for my time. But this is one hour of 23 other hours in the day. I, like if I could bottle and sell it for everything else, and I'm sorry, I'm kind of – digging into your thought here, but I, I love it. If I could do that and not do 10 other things, like I'm not checking my phone during this podcast. I'm not thinking about football play. I'm thinking about you and these questions that we have going on, man. I, I love that idea of how can I do that with the rest of my time? So if you figure that out, please let me know. Cause I need it. I absolutely need it. You ever think of, uh, you know, just, just, a, just like a closing thought, you know, how like the, the feed the cats method is have high intensity for that short period of time. Right. Do everything you possibly can in that short period of time, like everything that that you want to get, get it done in that short period, high intensity, low volume, get it done in that in that period of time. So like feed the cats envelope accounting put into one. Whoa, my mind is blown. I love it. (laughs) We have a feed, a feed the cats methodology in time management. I love it. So for people that don't know, that is episode number 82 with the great Tony Holler. That was actually the number one listened to podcast in advanced training history, where we talk about feed the cats. If you don't know what it is, go listen to that episode right after this. But going back to Coach Q, Coach Q, where can people find you if they want to know more about you? Is there like an Instagram account, a Twitter account? Like how do they learn more about you and start following you? Um, I have a, a public uh, business account, uh, Mike.Corsia. On, on Instagram and uh, I post the uh, I post the workouts there I post uh, you know different information about registration um, big on big on posting the, mo- the the coach coach Q motivational quotes of the day I'm big on that I'm right? very big on that on the philosophy thing and uh, so yes we find me uh, on, on Instagram Mike.Corsia is that and that's Q-U-E-R-C-I-A Awesome. Coach, thank you so much. We're hit, we hit, hit the exact hour mark. Uh, this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to do it. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Coach. It means a lot. All right, man. Awesome. Talk to you soon, Coach. Bye. All right. Bye. This episode is brought to you by the Nutrition Treatment Center. Are you feeling tired, fat, bloated, weak? Yet at the same time, you're training like you've never trained before? You're eating cleaner than you've ever eaten before? Well, maybe you're doing everything right but there's something wrong inside your body that's counteracting all the good things that you're doing. It's kind of like driving down the Garden State Parkway with your foot on the gas pedal, but you're not getting anywhere because the parking brake's on. And in the world of nutrition, that parking brake could be food sensitivities. For example, you could be eating grilled chicken, but it's actually making you fat. Or you could have a micronutrient deficiency. If you're feeling tired, fat, bloated, weak, and you think you're doing everything right, go visit our friend Dr. Tom over at the Nutrition Treatment Center. If you tell them that Advanced Training referred you, he will take 25% off your first consultation fee. This man legitimately changed my life. He brought me from, and I'll just say the numbers, 19.5% body fat, a guy who trained all the time, down to 12% body fat. I lost weight while eating more, and I've never felt better. And I'm I'm an old man now. I'm not a young man, and I've never felt better. This guy saved my life. I 100% believe in what he's done. Again, visit Dr. Tom over at the nutritiontreatmentcenter.com.